Hey guys. What a privilege. What a privilege it is to uh, worship the Lord on the Lord's day, isn't it? And uh, I guess we had uh, a lot of the kids here start to go back to school this week as the uh, summer has moved on. Where does it go, right? Everything just flies by so quickly. Um, speaking of that, there was a young man filling out a college questionnaire as he was getting ready to go to college and get a uh, dorm room. And so he would have to fill this questionnaire in to uh, see how he would be determined as far as his, his roommate compatibility would be. By the questions, do you make your bed regularly? And do you consider yourself a neat person? He put yes and yes. His uh, mother saw that, or asked him what... And, and anyway, she read his answers, knowing that they were far from the truth. And she asked why he lied. <laughs> and he said, what? And have them stick me with some slob? <laughs> well, we're all prone to excuse our own uh, faults and magnify the faults of others, aren't we? We do that rather well. We find the little bitty things that's wrong with people and magnify them and uh, what our big problems are that stick out, we uh, think nothing of them. Well, Jesus knew the propensity for man to justify himself and blame others. That's why he gave sermons like he did, like on the Sermon on the Mount. And he was, he's very clear in what he is saying. He's not mincing words, so as he puts that forth, he knows exactly who he's talking about. And last week we talked about loving our enemies. And no culture has really prided themselves on loving enemies. Jesus came up with something that was just absolutely new. And it was a hard statement uh, for them to, uh, to think how that could actually work. Because the Jews hated other nations. And even the different divisions, the four different divisions... Pharisees and Sadducees and and all of those guys, the Essenes and what have you, they uh, they all sometimes hated each other, and that was a good thing. They thought they were commanded to do that if they didn't see eye to eye. And uh, he knew that they would try to dodge the demands as he spoke about love your enemies. So we talked about that last week, and so they are now supposed to focus on mercy and not judgment. And so that's what he's going to hit on, on the very focus of focusing on their own sins. He says, this is meant for them. <laughs> you know, I hope they're hearing this. And all the same time, it's like, no, it's for you. And so... This, and this is what happened there at that time, I'm sure, and it happens all throughout church history and even right here today. He doesn't want them to be blind men leading the blind. He wants them to be able to judge their own sins so that they can then clearly see and not be blind to help others. And that's to help them. So... It's a seeing 
kind of thing. See your sin and where it's really at and know that it's a good heart that's going to produce fruit. That's what he is heading for in in our passage today. That's kind of a little short outline. We should focus on mercy. We should focus on mercy towards others and go easy on them. We go easy on ourselves and we judge others more harshly than we would judge ourselves if we do. It's something we have to constantly work at and say, well, what are you picking on me for? Well, every one of you is saying that, I hope, because this is us, this is people, this is mankind, these are Christians. We all need to work on a lot of things. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, He helps us with those things, we can be more like Christ. We have problems loving our enemies, don't we? We have problems in showing mercy to people who do not deserve it. So that's what we're dealing with today. Let's grab our Bibles and uh, turn to Luke chapter 6. Starting at verse 36. Let's stand. And the very first two words really say it all. And then he's going to give what it is to be this. Be merciful. Just as your Father is merciful. Well, that's kind of impossible, isn't it? How do we do this? Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. He also spoke a parable to them. A blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he has been fully trained, will be like his teacher. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how could you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out that speck that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit, nor on the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit, for men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is truth. It is hard truth to humans because it asks of things of us that we are absolutely unable to do naturally. But You've given us everything we need to be able to do what You ask. You would never ask us to do things we can't do if it weren't for the Holy Spirit. 
And Lord, help us to understand this passage and help us, each one of us, take this to our own minds and to think on it, to dwell on it, that we would become better and better in our walk with the Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. You can be seated. Turn to this 36th verse. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. That's how we do it, just like the Father. Well, how was that? Well, He's merciful to us when we were just hanging at the precipice, ready to be destroyed into destruction and hell forever. And His mercy came in in our pitiful condition. He rescued our souls. That's for believers, right? Now, what we're doing is we're moving from love to mercy. They're linked love, mercy, grace. You want that all the time, don't you? I bet you put it in your prayers. Oh, Lord, give me mercy today. Give me grace. Lord, I need Your love. Especially today. Especially at this moment. Mercy um, is like love, but it's different. It's dealing with compassion speaks of withholding judgment. When judgment should be dealt out, it withholds judgment. And mercy and judgment throughout this whole passage today are contrasted. Back and forth. Mercy and judgment. Only those who have personally tasted the mercy of God the Father are the ones who can actually show mercy to other people. It's great mercy. Everyone who has received God's mercy should give mercy to anybody else who deserves God's judgment. And if we don't view ourselves that way, then we don't understand the Gospel. If we don't understand the Gospel, we really don't know God. So it's so key to understand what this mercy is. If you look in Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, we've heard mercy all of our lives. We get it. We know what it is. But do we really, really get how the Father, triune God, gave us mercy? But God, being rich, He's loaded in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Raised us up with Him. Seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Did you notice the three words there? Did you see mercy? Did you see love? Did you see grace? That is overwhelming what He did with us. And we abuse that mercy and love and grace and do things that are not like the Father. And we don't, we don't forgive others. We judge others. Go on and on what it is. If He did these things for us, why wouldn't we do these things? Is His point. When you've personally tasted God's mercy, and it's all in Christ. Did you begin to show that mercy to others? Have you ever practiced mercy on other people? 
compassion is so much needed because they're in a helpless condition. It's people who are wretches in a pitiful, helpless condition. And because of His mercy, He grasps us and takes us out of that situation. If we know God as our merciful Father and what He did, it always takes it back to that cross, doesn't it? And if we see ourselves as children, then because He's the Father, it says, as as the Father is, we do this mercy just like Him. If that be the case, if we're children, then we will show mercy toward those who don't deserve it, who have wronged us even. So, know the mercy of the Father, we see in verse 36. Then we look at verse 37 as we proceed further. And he says, do not judge, you'll not be judged. Don't condemn, you'll not be condemned. You have extremes here when you get into this text and the whole idea of judging. You have the people who say that you should never judge on anything. The fact of the matter is, we have to judge every day. We have to judge what we're even going to wear. You know, you have to make decisions. You judge this, judge that. Uh, it's it's all day long. So we know it's not dismissing uh, judgment, but what kind of judgment is he speaking here? We have to judge if one is a believer or unbeliever. Do we give them the gospel? If they don't have any fruit that they're a Christian, then we're aiming to give them the gospel that they would know Christ, right? If they're Christian, then we're judging the fact that they already know Christ. And so, you know, you've made a, a, a difference between two different kinds of people, believer and unbeliever. That's judging. Is that okay? Yeah, absolutely. You have to. You have to be wise. And, and, and we'll show a few scriptures to show why that's true. Uh... If it weren't, I guess it would actually uh, be contrary to all the Scriptures that that shows where there is to be uh, judgment made. There is to be church discipline done. So at any rate, uh, and we know that that's all for the goal of the restoration of the sinner. We don't ignore the sin, but yet the sinner is to be restored. Sometimes it involves judgment. And so therefore, we know that Jesus does mean for us to do that but it is carried to another extreme in the tolerant culture that we live today. By the way, the ones who are very tolerant, have you noticed that they're the worst? They're intolerant more than anybody else. Isn't that amazing? Of course, they don't have any true wisdom from the Scripture. And so they'll use the text, what? Judge not, lest you be judged. Right? If people would think like that, if they'd read their Bibles, they'd see immediately that God commanded such things as to judge. So we're trying to make sure that we don't go to extremes one way or the other. Go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, and that's where that verse is mentioned that people so often repeat. You might, you might be mentioning a sin to somebody, something that they're dealing with, and they say, oh, 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 you're a Christian, judge, judge not, lest you be judged. And But when it comes to where there is something that has to be addressed, it has to be done. Verse 1 says this, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. There we go. Where's that at? What's on the Sermon on the Mount? Oh, in Luke 6, we're on the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah. It's probably the same sermon. They're very related. Uh, Luke has a lot less than Matthew does, but it's... 
he hit the same way, but he probably said these many, many times. That's why we say that. Uh, For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. That sounds familiar, kind of like what our text is there, right? Okay, but we have to move on. We look in verse 6. Do you just roll over and be a doormat? Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So you have to be very careful and use wisdom when you give out God's truth. It's, you know, it must be to people who are uh, wanting to hear it. If they don't want it and they're making fun of, of God and you and they don't want any part of it, don't throw what is holy to unbelievers. But we are to do that if they desire to hear more. Uh, Same chapter, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Would we have to make a judgment on people who are bringing in false teaching? What if somebody started coming in here and they said, Jesus is not God. He never said He was God. He was a God. Now, is that wrong or right? Well, obviously it's wrong. But, but judge not lest you be judged. Wouldn't we make a judgment if we'd said, you leave out of here. We do not believe that. We have to make a judgment to do that, don't we? So, uh, on false teaching. Things that come in the church that are wrong. So that's the idea there. Um, There is wrong kind of judgments. What does Jesus mean? Do not pass judgment. He further says, do not condemn. To judge others in a way because of some other reason that we've been given is to look down upon them with a condemning spirit. That uh, we don't know the heart motive sometimes, but we can start judging in a way that would be a self righteousness. That's what we're talking about a self righteous spirit on our part. Uh, uh, Trying to get even with someone. You know, they've done you wrong, so you want to get back. We talked about that last week, too. You want that person to pay for what they did. You know, you you have a hatred about it. Maybe we don't want to pardon them. We don't want to forgive them. What we want to do is this. God, zap them! Yeah. And that is absolutely the opposite end of the spectrum. That's what unbelievers do. And if we continued to do that, it would make one look like an unbeliever and people say, is that a believer? That's how serious it is. You know, Jesus is saying this kind of thing. So, uh, there's a self-righteousness here. You think of the Pharisee and the publican. Pharisee is saying, "Oh God, thank you so much, and I'm not like that man over there." And the other man is pounding his chest, and he says, "God, have mercy on me." And who is considered to be the righteous one? Not the Pharisee, but the publican. The Pharisee was self-righteous. He was proud. He was looking down on others. And yes, outwardly he looked really good. A person who is not judgmental, 
is humble. He sees himself as a sinner. He sees himself as better than no other sinner. And that's a proper view. That's a proper view of self. And not to have the judgmental spirit but um, and being opposed to the very mercy of God. So there's a, there's a pardon there that uh, comes along and that's what verse 37 is, is dealing with. Do not judge. You will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will be not be condemned. Pardon and you will be pardoned. Now, it's kind of interesting there. You could say, okay, well, if, if I do these things and if I don't judge, if I don't condemn, if, you know, if, if I pardon them, then the exact same thing will happen for me, right? Could be. Matter of fact, as a principle, there is a sense that that does happen. Um, the idea of pardoning is to release one from the guilt and the penalty of their sin. And you want to release them from that. So that's a forgiveness there, and we are asked to forgive much, or we're commanded to do that. Um, you, you remember that Jesus illustrated it in a parable. This is about the two slaves. They uh, owed a king different amounts of money. Each one of those slaves did. Let's turn to Matthew 18, starting at verse 23. He's making a real major point. This goes right along with what we're talking about in the pardoning aspect. You know, we know these things, but... They're difficult things sometimes. Here it is, Matthew 18.23 For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. 10,000 talents, just think of millions and millions of dollars. Matter of fact, go beyond millions. Just go ahead and think billions. Okay? That's how much, and that's really what Jesus is saying. It's an, uh, an enormous amount that you can't even come up with. That's how much he owes him. He, there's no way he's going to be able to pay him back. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all. Uh, 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 and made. So the slave fell to the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I'll repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion, there's our mercy, and released him and forgave him the debt. There was no chance. And there it is. But that slave went out found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Pretty good amount. Three months. It's about three months away. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars. You know, it's a little bit of a debt, but it could be done. But he doesn't come up with it. He seized him, began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I'll repay you. But he was unwilling. He went threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. How's he going to raise money in prison to pay him back? So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to the Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, as the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. 
Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. This is Jesus. Nobody has to even comment on this. He's saying, okay, it's been done to you. What does that mean of us? Do we have an option? No. And if you don't, what does that mean? You're not a believer. Just like that. Black and white. A true believer will forgive. I mean, Jesus is saying it right straight up front. That what He's doing, He's showing all those disciples, the ones who think they're believers and then the ones who are, and some of them are going, whoa, this is a little bit heavy for me. And some of them are going to leave, right? So He goes to another one. Unforgiving spirit is a judgmental spirit, right? It's opposed to God's mercy. Then verse 38. Here's a third one. We've been talking about judging and then pardoning. And now we get to giving. Not only to forgive them, but to give to people who don't deserve it, who have wronged us. Are you kidding me? Well, yeah, he's already said that. When he talked about love, he says, you know, if they want your coat, give them that and whatever else is underneath you there. Go to the extremes. Uh, verse 38, often taken out of context by Christian people. Give and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, for by your standard of measure it will be measured to you in return. What do you think that they do with this? Well, if you give to God, you can't outgive Him, and that's true, you can't. But if you give to God's causes, you will get even more back in money financially than you gave. Now that can be true. It has happened. But that's not necessarily what he's saying here and that will happen all the time. If you give a hundred bucks, you've thrown in the seed and you could get three, five hundred thousand dollars. You know, just make up a number. Whatever you give, the more that you give out there, it's going to be quadrupled. Have you guys heard that? It doesn't happen. Sometimes it can. God can do that. And, by the way, He always outgives the giver. And I really want to remind ourselves here, how much has He given to us? How much do we really want? A little bit more so I can pay this bill. None of us are here in a way that, hey, listen, I've got enough here to set me back for the next 20-30 years. None of us are in that condition. There are very few that are anyway. And even if we were, we would want more. We never have enough. How much do we have compared to the rest of the world? And from all of history, before this time, we're probably richer than anybody. Down through the years. Almost everybody in a lot of sense. We have things. We have technologies and things we can do that they never could do. It's real comfortable, this life. Everybody here got got to sleep in a nice bed, a warm house, or a cool house. <laughs> but you got, you got sleep and you're 
got food if you needed it. It's in the cupboards. Something's usually there. Oh, how He's given, right? We just cannot take Him for granted. The deal is here is that our motive isn't, hey, I'm going to give, and I know because of this, He's going to give me, I'm putting in $500 in the offering today, and I'm going to get $1,500 back. It doesn't work that way, does it? He gives us a lot more than that $1,500, folks. And yes, it does multiply. Sometimes just it, it, money. But so many ways. So many ways. So what's going on here? Give and it will be given to you. What, what's, what's happening? We want to be generous to those in need because God showered His riches upon us. Good measure pressed down, shaken together. What's going on? Well, you go back to the markets, the grain market uh, uh, of the day, the markets that were right in town where they'd be selling this. A good merchant, a very good businessman and very honest, what he would do is that he would pour his grain into a measure and what he would do, he would press it down and shake it get it down there as far as he could, put more grain in there, press it down, shake it. You guys ever bought cereal? You know, it's a great big box, but it's settled, and you get about this much cereal. And not only cereal, but how many other things? Potato chips? You know, bags this big, but what's in there like this? Pressed down, shaken together, and that's what he'd do. He'd get it till there was overflowing. And they would have, you remember the flowing robes that they would have? They would take that outer robe and then put it out there and then he would put that measure into their, like, a, like an apron or something, right? Like a robe. And it would actually kind of almost be overflowing, you know, even when he put it out there. That's, that's kind of the idea. They knew exactly what it meant. It meant somebody that really, they got everything that they paid for and more. That's a good businessman, isn't it? And that is good business. That's honest. So to show mercy to others, he's saying is not to judge them, not to pardon them, and all and also to be generous towards them. Who are we're children of the heavenly Father? And he said, "Be like the Father." He's marked by that kind of mercy. What is the nature? What is the characteristic of God? Well, one of them is that He is merciful. Right? That's an attribute of God. He's merciful. That attribute is also something that is transferred to us. That is called a what? A communicable attribute. It's communicated to us. That's something we can do as God does. Because He gives us the power to do it. It's amazing. We can be merciful like the Father in heaven is. Wow. Jesus is saying some things here. These people have never heard this stuff. I mean, this is radical. 
Isn't this radical? Even today? When he said this, can you imagine some people, oh man, what, what's, his, what's his problem? A bee in his saddle? If he rode his donkey that day. He walked. Right? Now, we go to verse 38, and that's where we're at, but in that is that if we don't judge others in the... When we already explained what is the right way, we will not be judged. If we pardon, we will be pardoned. And if we're generous, we might be treated generous too. Have that ever happened to you from people you wouldn't expect? They actually treated you with respect? Uh, they treated you generously? Does the Lord mean that we can be treated that way? Yeah. Or does He mean that God will treat us that way? Or is it, is it, just, is it people that is going to treat us that way? Who is it? Is it God that's going to do that? Or is it going to be people? Are you thinking? I am really thirsty today. Thank you. God and people probably is the answer. Both. On the human plane, statements uh, sometimes that are like Proverbs, or in this case, parables. They're kind of in general, aren't they? They, they, they give um, kind of a standard, um, a general idea. It doesn't always mean that that's going to happen. In the Proverbs, you see that a lot. Here, if you do this, this will happen. And, yeah, as, as a general rule, it does or kind of does. And over a course of time, yeah, you can see it. Sometimes not. Not absolutely true. And that's, that's the idea here when he says, if you do this, this is what will happen. If you do this uh, forgiving, let's say, not judging and, and, and being generous. Um, you know, have you had it where people actually were gracious towards you when before they were the exact opposite? And it's because you treated them nice? If you're quick to forgive, others are going to be prone to forgive you too, in their own way, maybe. If you are generous, others could be generous towards you. But I will say this if we refuse to forgive, if we're stingy, it'll come back to us also. He's saying if you do these things, it'll come back to you. But if you don't do what you're supposed to do, it'll come back to you also. There was an illustration in um, the life of a guy by the name of Meyer. M-A-Y-E-R. You guys are familiar with MGM Studios? Metro Goldwyn Mayer. I think it's Mayer, not Meyer. He had a, whenever he was, he was a little boy, he had a fight with another one. I think he kind of lost. Anyway, he came back home and had a black eye, and he said, well, it was the other boy's fault. He's the one who started it. He did it. His mother didn't say anything. Dressed his eye. Made him feel a little bit better. And she took him back to the back door of their house. And back there, there were a lot of hills all the way around. 
It was a great for an echo. Did that in our neighborhood the other day. I wanted to see if we had any echo in our neighborhood. Carolyn's out there sitting with me, and I made some strange noise, you know, and people are around, people are walking down the sidewalk, and I, I didn't see anybody at the time. And so I did this probably eerie sound, and it echoed back. You know, it came back real good. I decided to do it a second time. That's pretty cool because I heard heard the cardinal doing its thing. And I said, listen, Carol, listen to the echo. You know, we're talking about the echoes, and it was really cool. And so I wanted to see if it would do it for me, and it did. It came back. <laughs> Carolyn said, one town. Don't do that. <laughs> it wasn't the exact same words. It was kinder than that. But I, I felt, okay, I won't do it anymore. I thought it was pretty cool, though. Now, she said, okay, said, Lewis, I want you to kill, to call all those hills out and I want you to say bad things about those hills. Bad names. So he did. And you know what happened? The bad names came back to him. Now, she said, call this out. God bless you. Guess what? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. It came back. That's the principle. That's the whole idea of what Jesus is saying here. Um, If we do these things, these things will come back to us. If we do things that are not honoring to God, they'll come back to us. If we do things that are honoring to God, they will come back to us. Uh, As Christians, our deeds will be judged. You notice I said our deeds will be judged. Those that are wood and hay and stubble, they'll be burned, suffer loss. But we will be saved... So as through fire, it's out of First Corinthians three fifteen. Oh, let's just read that. So if we presume upon God and we do things that are not His kind of work, what follows us into heaven are those. He says in fifteen, if any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. All the works, all the words and things that we've said as Christians, they're going to be burned up. And that's really merciful because we don't want those to go into heaven, do we? And then what is true and honor to God will be taken in there. Of course, we've always heard of the... the uh, Take a oh let's take a wedding okay you have you have a bride she has a nice flowing long gown but a lot of those works that we were just talking about there the wood hay and stubble all of a sudden that long gown turns into like a mini skirt because all that's chopped off it was useless works it wasn't honoring to God we want to go in there with a full wedding gown don't we and so it goes you know um. There was a General Oglethorpe. You heard of Oglethorpe? I think it was down in Georgia. He once said to John Wesley, I never forgive and I never forget. That's a military man for you, isn't it? I never forgive and I never forget. You ever heard anybody say that? Probably. You know what Wesley replied? Then, sir, I hope you never sin. Do you get it? Because if he sins, or he sins against somebody, then they're not going to forgive him, are they? They're not going to forget 
what he did. Well, there's part one. Let's go to part two. 39 through 45 of our Luke 6. Judge our own sins deep down to the heart. Rather than judging others, as he said, judge yourselves, or you're going to be like blind guides of the blind. This is how this runs into context. You know, at one time, and even this week as I was looking at it, I was going, how do these fit in with the other ones? It seems like they're just saying one little thing after another. And they're all just kind of running together. Okay, a blind man cannot guide a blind man, can he? Will they not both fall into a pit? What's it got to do with forgiving? And then he says this next one, a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. That's just coming out of nowhere. Boom, there's a shot. There's a shot firing just anywhere, right? Context. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Oh, we're still in the same context, folks. He's in the same area that where he has been. These are parables. And he hits a slew of parables here, one after another. And he takes those parables and really illustrates what he's already said. I think it's really um, sharp how Jesus puts this forth in these parables. And parable means what? Well, in the Greek it's parabole. Para, P-A-R-A, alongside, parallel. Bale, to throw. I like to think of ball, ball. You throw a ball, right? To throw alongside. You throw this spiritual truth here alongside this truth that God has here. Um, It's kind of a a flow. It's a story of a spiritual truth to further illustrate what He has said. He's making it very clear. It's like us today putting up uh, something on PowerPoint that we get a picture of what we just are talking about. You know, to, to get it really firmly here. He's a, just the greatest teacher that could ever be. Jesus is the Master. He is the teacher. And He uses these parables right at the right time. And He wants people to understand. He doesn't give something that they can't understand. It's over their head, right? Bring philosophy on. He brings it right to the farmer boy. Brings it right to the just the common people. So here we are. He's saying, "Hey, you got to take the log out of your own eye before you try to help out anybody else, because they have a little speck in their eye. As they examine themselves, they should look at their fruit." And so that's what he does with these parables, just flowing right down there. Uh, Jesus uses this series. That's that's a context. So what's the deal about the blind? Uh, Some of you might remember um, there was a cartoon on TV called Mr. Magoo. Some of you know that. Others are going, I've never heard of Mr. Magoo. Mr. Magoo, what was his problem? Was was he kind of blind? Yeah. Uh, he was always bumping into things. Sometimes that's really funny. You know, he'd bump into this and that. He'd knock things over. Then he would uh, mistake one thing for another. You know, it goes on and on. Okay, picture a blind man. 
And he can't see where he's going, obviously. And he can't see any obstacles in his path. He needs somebody to help him get from point A to point B, doesn't he? But what happens if you get another blind man leading that blind man? This is simple, isn't it? This is what Jesus does. He he tells this story, and everybody can understand that. We could have a little four-year-old out here and say, they'd be laughing, you know. You know, a blind man trying to lead a blind man. You need somebody that can see. Can you imagine anything more silly than a blind man trying to lead another blind man, you know, and neither one of them can see, and going to the state fair and trying to walk around there, right? That's the principle of it. The guide for the blind need to see better than the one who can't see, because he can't see at all. So that that guy that's leading me has to be able to see something a little bit better at least. And that's why he would even use verse 40 here to back up verse 39. A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he's been fully trained will be like his teacher. Or a blind or a, a, a guide leading a blind man. And so that's the illustration that uh, Jesus used. Can you imagine anything more silly than blind leading the blind? Well, this is fitting in here with what he's saying as we move on to the, the, the next parable. But the principle is, is you have to have somebody that really knows something to help out another person. You have to get it right first before you can help them out. Is that making sense? As we go back to the previous verses, make sure that you have judged your own self. Now, you know, the teacher is going to teach the student something, you hope, right? So the student will be like the teacher. So those two go together right there. Why, why is Jesus telling this parable? It's about love and forgiveness. That's the the idea. God's children can only be known because of their love. They go to people who are unlovely and they show love to them even if they be enemies. God's children show mercy. So there's where your, your parable comes in. A blind man, if you don't have the mercy of God, how can you show really the mercy to anybody else? But if you have the mercy of God, then you can show mercy to this guy over here that doesn't deserve it. Now, does that parable stick out in your head more than before? Hope that helps. And about the pupil and the teacher, it used to have gone, okay, he's just shooting out little wise thoughts here. Well, they're wise, but they are in context because Jesus is the greatest teacher. And He's not just going to fire things right and left, this and that and this and that. Where it doesn't make any sense, you go, whoa, what was that? It's a flow. And in their day, they would have understood this and the way that it was brought forth maybe a little bit better than than we would as we just read it straight out here. So that's helpful. Maybe you didn't have any trouble with those verses at all, why they were there, but um, I know that I always did. People who set themselves up as leaders over God's people must be those who show love and mercy. They don't go and make judgments right off the bat. Forgiven people forgive others. Who's forgiven? That's all. Everybody, as Christians anyway, are to forgive. 
We can't forgive until we have been forgiven. And then we want to forgive. Jesus is pushing His disciples to examine themselves. That's really what He's hitting at. It starts with me. It starts with me. That's the idea. If we're blind to our own sins, then how can we help others deal with their sin until we see our own? I'm sure there were Pharisees here. And he actually called those guys blind guides. Here he says it here. I'm sure they were there, but he said it directly to them. Look in Matthew 15, verse 14. Let them alone. He's talking about the Pharisees if you back up in verse 12. They are blind guides of the blind. They're guiding the blind while they're blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. There's another place where Jesus used that term. And it was this was dealing about tradition. Tradition of Judaism and what the Pharisees carried out. And he hit, he went right for the throat. And he called them what they were. They were blind guides. And they were leading blind people right into the pit. Boy, that's pretty graphic, isn't it? Can you imagine putting a picture up on that? I should have had some of these ready, you know, if I'd really thought about it. I'm just now thinking about it now. But you could almost have a little cartoon of it, you know. In a way, it's kind of funny. And then you really start thinking about it. You go, that's sad, isn't it? Really sad. Matthew 15, verse 23. But he did not answer her a word, and his disciples came. And uh, fifteen twenty-three. Okay, here we go. Verse twenty-two. And a Canaanite woman from that region came out, began to cry out, saying, "Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon possessed." He didn't answer a word, and his disciples came and implored him, saying, "Send her away, because she keeps shouting at us." But he answered and said. I was only to the lost. I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, "Lord, help me." And he answered and said, "It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs." But she said, "Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table." Then Jesus said to her, "O woman, your faith is great. It should be done for you as you wish." And her daughter was healed at once. A lot of stories that can be behind that. But there is one who knew she needed mercy, and Jesus winds up forgiving her. It's an interesting story of what happened there. You you have to admire that. But anyway, turn to Matthew 23 and verse 16. Quite the mercy that Jesus had on one who was a Gentile. The dogs. That's what the Jews said, but he was illustrating a point. The Jews hated those dogs. So he exhibited his forgiveness there. 23.16 says, Woe to you blind guides who say whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. What's he call them? Blind guides. Verse 24 
You blind guides who strain out a gnat, swallow a camel. So there they are. Go back to Luke now, 6. Says in 40, we read 40 about the pupil and the teacher. Why do you look at the speck in verse 41 that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? If you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Interesting there. I think Jesus was really using a lot of humor here. He can't help but laugh at it, because this idea of this log in the eye, what, what's, what log is he talking about? He's talking about the main supporting beam of a house. How about a 2x4? Or a 4x4? Four four? And that's sticking out of your head. And you come up to your brother and say, wait a minute, brother. And you're knocking him in the head and everything with that great big 4x4 four four, and he's got the little speck. You're going to take that out, right? Jesus is saying this. And I have to think that, yes, there's some humor. They had to laugh and he said, here's, here's the idea. This is the principle. They have a little bit of sawdust in their eye. Yeah, yeah, people see that, but um, till you take that thing out, how in the world is anybody going to take anything from you because of that, right? Wow. We, we tend to ignore, ignore our own faults, but we see everybody else's. We like to get that out sometimes. How about when... Um, how about when I'm expecting somebody to come at a certain time? They don't come. Look out the window, look out the door. They haven't come. It's a half hour later. And I was like, Where, what are they doing? What's going on? And the thing is, a lot of times when we make have an appointment, oh, well, I expect them to know what's going on. I have a busy life and there's just no way that I can I can be there at that time. Right? Or how about when we're driving along and um, we're in a hurry? You're looking there, man, I, I'm already late. And you're and you're right on the the heels of this this car. You're right on the rear end of it, right? And you might be thinking all sorts of bad things at that time. Or on the other side, though, we're just driving along, going the speed limit, and there's this guy right behind us. Jerk. <laughs> we start thinking all these things. You know, what's he doing? Get off my tail there, you know? And uh, I hope it's not worse than that, right? But it's like, back off, man. What's the big rush? We deal with these kind of things all the time, don't we? Those are little things, but they can be big things, too. It's talking about our own sins. We, we see others, but we don't see ourselves. We don't apply it at all times. Um, brother, I, I sympathize with you because I used to have far more than a speck in my eye. I, I understand. You know, and then you might be able to be there to make them well. What do you do whenever they don't want to be made well? What do you do with that? Well, a lot of times you can't do anything about it because you can't even talk to them or whatever. But what do you do? 
Well, you can't forgive them because they haven't. If they've done something against you, and it's very, very apparent, it's 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 very. They're very well aware. You are. Everybody is, and there is no repentance. Then, outwardly, we can't forgive them, can we? But inwardly, what are we supposed to do? Forgive them inwardly, but outwardly, until there's a repentance and there's been something that's really, really wrong, that that forgiveness can't happen. That's up to them if they have done some offense that it would be something that would count. But we do inwardly forgive and we're ready and waiting if they do ask for a real forgiveness and a true repentance, then that's where um, wisdom comes in to uh, apply this. Are we really loving people? You know, look in, uh, well, last week when we were in Luke, verse 27, where we started, but I say to you who here love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offering. We go all the way on down there. That is hard, tough love, isn't it? doesn't come natural. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. What is it about? It's the love chapter. This is a love the world does not understand. Verse 4, love is patient. It endures. Love is kind is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things. And then when it gets to where you can't even hardly bear it anymore, you believe all things that are right. And it gets to where you can't hardly even believe. It hopes all things. And then what seems like there is no hope left endures all things. Wow. That's not some fancy saying that you give to a couple at their wedding. Just put it on the wall. Man, when you study and meditate on that, you go, that's impossible without the fruit of the Spirit. Right? Love is a fruit of the Spirit. And that's really what all of this is about. And then he uses, to close this up, it's, he uses another parable that's about the, the trees. There's no good tree which produces bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. For each true is known, tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather fruits from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure out of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And there you have that great parable that we're all familiar with, the trees. It's a fundamental law of nature and things produce after their own kind. 
By the way, if you are a man, boy, man, that's what you are. You're not a woman. If you're a woman, you're a woman. You're not a man. You go on and on. But, of course, then you see that all the different plants, whether they be trees or whatever it is, what, if they have an apple, they do not produce carrots, pears. They only produce apples. It could be different kinds of apples, Jonathan apples and Japanese apples. <laughs> just go on and on. But isn't that a general principle? Have you seen these parables, how simple they are? How simple this truth is? And how often do we forget something so simple? Jesus really hits with this. And what is true of trees? It's true of men, mankind. What's on the inside, whatever is on that inside, is going to make itself known what it is on the outside. It will manifest. It will show what it is. If you're a good tree, you're going to have fruit. If you're a bad tree, it's going to be bad fruit or or just nothing. But it, you know. We look at outward appearances, I know, and we can't judge by outward appearances. We can tell some things by outward appearances. We are to be fruit inspectors. After we've talked about judgment, you say, yeah, when you look at some fruit and it really looks bad, then you know where the situation is at. Okay, this is what it is. This is good. This is bad. Makes it really simple. And so he illustrates that. And what it is, is what we say and what we do is going to reveal what's in our hearts. This is where this has all come to. To this point here. Jesus is the Master Teacher. What's here, what I do, is going to show whether I'm real or not. What's inside comes out of our mouths. If you're often spewing out angry, bitter words, words that do not become a Christian, tearing down others, blaming everybody else on your problems, then your heart is not right before God. It's called a heart problem. The good treasure, the evil treasure. Note that the good man has a good treasure or a storehouse in his heart there in verse 45. Where does this come from? It comes from meditating upon God's Word, meditating upon His great mercy, because we can show mercy because of what God has done. Let God's great mercy fill your thoughts. Think on merciful things. Have a storehouse of mercy to serve to others. What is inside comes out of the mouths. Matthew 15.11 I'm going to ask some questions. This is to each one of us. It starts with me. It's with everybody. Am I marked more by a merciful spirit or a critical judgmental spirit? Am I blaming God or even others for my problems? Or am I working on removing the log out of my own eye? Am I frequently judging my own life? Am I looking at my own life down to the very thought level, down to the heart Am I using God's Word? Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is a two-edged sword coming in and judging. If you let the Word of God come in and show where we need to be corrected, 
And then it would be, am I truly born again? Are we doing things that reflect things that are of the world and are of things that are not of God's? Am I really a Christian? Is pleasing Christ the focus of my life? Is that really why I am here? Or do I just play church once in a while? Come around once a month just to be checking in but not accountable to the rest of the church? You need to look at yourself and to see if you're really a God. To love others, especially those who have wronged us, Jesus commands we must focus on showing mercy to others. We must focus on judging our own sins. This is one we're going to, before we pray here, keep this in thought as we pray. This is our message as we take the Lord's Supper. What we just talked about is for each one of us, isn't it? And I really mean, this is where the Lord speaks to us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for being real. Thank You for Your Son being real. As He spoke those words that day, His words still ring true 2,000 years later. Oh, that those words would come into our hearts and that we would see Your truth as it is and trust in the Holy Spirit as He convicts us to turn from the sins that we so battle with and depend upon You. Because this is serious, Lord. We recognize it's so serious. As Jesus preached, we never want to take it lightly. It's words we've heard all of our lives. We know this. But do we really want to grow in it? Help us, Lord, to be the kind of people that You want us to be. And as we get prepared now for Your Lord's Supper, we confess our sins, Lord. We confess that there are areas in our lives that have to be changed. And we throw ourselves upon Your mercy, Your forgiveness, Your pardon, Your giving, so that we too can reflect You in this life that we live. So as we take these elements today, they're saying exactly what we just prayed for. And then our fruit would be known. In Jesus' name, Amen.